today is week three uh, of a short sermon series uh, that we've been going through together on the topic of the church. Uh, we've been talking about the ecclesia, the called out assembly, the called out gathering. Uh, and just uh, over the last two weeks, uh, I want to say how encouraged I've been uh, to hear from, from several of you and the ways that you have been challenged uh, just to be the church in this season. And certainly my, my hope is that all of us would uh, continually be inspired to, to live our lives in the ways that Jesus has called us to live. Well, just as a quick recap, uh, what we learned, first of all, uh, in, in week one, is that ultimately the church is not a what, the church is a who. That the church is a who because the church is people. The church is people. And through Acts chapter 1, specifically verse 8, what we uncovered is that the church is people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. They are people who are centered on the gospel. And they are people who are sent on mission. And then with that as our foundation, that knowledge of who we are, Last week, we asked the question, okay, so, so now what? Now what? What do we do? As the church, how do we live? And through Acts chapter 2, what we saw is that people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit, people who are centered on the gospel, these people who are sent on mission, they live devoted lives. That was a really key word for us last week, devoted. They live devoted lives. They live their lives, in other words, sacrificially for the plans and the purposes of God. And more specifically, we saw in Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, that out of the overflow of who these people were, this church, they were devoted to to learning, they were devoted to, to loving, to worshiping, and to living on mission. In other words, these followers of Jesus, now full of the Holy Spirit and dwelt by the Holy Spirit for the very first time, they dedicated their lives to knowing the word of God and living by the word of God. They were deeply committed as well to fellowship with one another, to being with one another, and to sharing everything that God had graciously given them. They were also, we see, they were devoted to a life of worship, to praising God with every aspect of their lives. And so again, they continually met together in the temple, and they met together daily, it says, in their homes to remember the works and to remember the promises of God. They were singing together, praying together, and eating together, all for the glory of God and for his name. And then we see that as a set-apart people, they lived their lives as sent ones. Uh, They were devoted to the mission of God. They went out, in other words, and made disciples as they lived their lives as disciples. And so again, this is the church. And this is the example that we have of what the church, the ecclesia, did together and what they did in the world. But then with that, I want to today tackle the question of how. We've discussed whom the church is. 
We've talked about what they did, and today we're going to take the time to discuss how they did this. Again, we we know what it takes to belong to the ecclesia, to belong to the body of Christ as a whole. Peter answered that question for us in Acts chapter 2. We saw that again last week. What do we do? We repent and believe the gospel, right? We believe that Jesus is both Lord and Savior. And if we do that, it says that we are added to this set-apart gathering. But how do we create this, let's call it this missional movement that we see happening at the end of Acts 2? How do we become more full of the Holy Spirit, more centered on Jesus? How do we live with deeper conviction? How do we live more devoted lives? But more than that, how do we help other people do the same? And to attempt to answer that question for us today, I want you to, or I want to invite you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. The letter that we know as 2 Timothy was written by the Apostle Paul to his disciple Timothy. And this letter was written, as we know, as Paul was in prison in Rome. It's actually Paul's last letter um, because right or shortly after this, we know that he is killed for his faith uh, in Jesus. But Paul knows that. He knows that his life is coming to an end. He can sort of foresee it. And so knowing that, knowing that his life is coming to an end, Paul writes this letter urging Timothy to stand firm for the faith. But not only that, to persevere in passing on his faith. And so with that in mind, let's look at what Paul writes starting in verse 1. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 1 through 2, this is what it says. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Well, it's here in this short little passage where I believe we see the how or the strategy for how we go about being the church, being a people who are both set apart and sent out, but also how we go about passing this DNA on to others. I think these words here from Paul are actually the key, the key to to knowing how we are to create a movement where people are living like the church and where people are being added to the church. And so so here we go. How do we become a gathering that is defined by being empowered by the Holy Spirit, centered on the gospel, and sent on mission? What is the strategy for being and helping people become set apart and sent out? And here we go, starting with number one. Number one. First of all, if we want to do this, here's the strategy. We must be clear on sound doctrine. We must be clear on sound doctrine. Sound doctrine simply means uh, solid beliefs, or you could say correct theology. 
And of course, we know, uh, again, that mere content and knowledge is not the only thing that matters, right? We learned that last week, that it is as much about living the truth as it is knowing the truth. And actually, Paul himself affirmed that early in another one of his letters. We see this in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. He said these words. He said, we were ready, he's talking about the apostles, he says, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. So our, our text assumes that the truth that we give to others should be coupled with actually living out that truth. But we really can't understate the significance of sound doctrine in the life of a believer. We see here in verse 2, Paul says that what Timothy, notice what he says, what Timothy had heard him teach, that he is to impart or give those truths that he has heard, he's to give that to others so that they can therefore turn around and teach others also. Well, I believe that there's two parts to this the sound doctrine, two essentials to being clear on sound doctrine. And the, and the first is, we'll call it letter A, is that we have to believe the existence of absolute truth. If you want to be clear on sound doctrine, you have to start with, with believing the existence of absolute truth. I think that this verse really clearly implies what our postmodern culture uh, so outwardly opposes and denies. That there is actual spiritual truth that can be known and handed off faithfully to others. Right? You, you know this, right? But we live in a culture that is saturated and, and filled with the belief that spiritual truth is simply a matter of personal preference. That's, it's much like your favorite flavor of ice cream. Right? In other words... If something is true for you, right, that, that's great. That's good for you. That's, that's nice. But, but don't be so arrogant as to say that your truth is true for everyone else, right? Truth is relative in our society. And unfortunately, as it has often happened all throughout church history, the dominant worldview of our society tends uh, to come into the church and, and affect us, and we could say infect us in, in a lot of different ways. You know, I was reading a study uh, that, that took place in, in America a few years back, and, and it said that roughly 30% of Americans identify themselves as born-again Christians and regularly or somewhat regularly attend some sort of church gathering or worship service. And that's pretty good, right? I mean, 30% or so is, is a pretty good number. But later on in that study, what it's found is that of those individuals, only 50% of those surveyed believed that Jesus was the only way to eternal life. And this is just one study, one example of many it actually wouldn't take you uh, a lot of time and research to discover 
how many so-called or self-professed Christians and even churches have seemingly abandoned the importance of of sound doctrine and absolute truth and and turned right and turned to a belief that says that the bible and its core tenets or core beliefs are up for interpretation but paul says here take what you've heard from me timothy not what you think not what you believe that i said or how you filter what I said. No, take what's been taught to you and delivered to the church. Take those truths and teach them. And why? Because there is no other spiritual reality. There is no other eternal truth. Paul says in Colossians 2 that it's these truths, the truths of the gospel, this doctrine, these beliefs that allows us to grow in Christ. We looked and studied the the book of Jude not too long ago, but Jude 3 says that the teachings of Jesus and the apostles, they are, it is the faith once for all entrusted to the saints. And so we need to acknowledge that absolute truth exists and that it is found in the scriptures. There's one truth, one way. And that's essential to being clear on sound doctrine. We begin there. And then second, if we want to be clear on sound doctrine, we'll again call it letter, letter B, we have to be diligent to study the truth, but also fight to keep the truth. Again, this should be clear, right? But you can't teach or give something to others that you don't have or don't understand yourself, right? You must be clear about the truth to be able to hand off the truth, right? You have to be clear about the truth. Uh, You have to engage in a lifetime of study and and growth to be able to impart uh, that or that growth or the way to growth into other people, right? Sometimes when I I think about it and I, I read the scriptures, Uh, I'm jealous of a lot of people throughout scriptures, a lot of times, especially those who walked with Jesus. But I was thinking about the context of this letter and in some ways how 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 jealous I am of a a person like Timothy, that in his young age, um, that he got to to hear the Apostle Paul teach the scriptures right on numerous occasions. But even more than that, right? Um. Timothy, we know he walked, he traveled with Paul. And so we know that they were eating together, again, traveling together. And so I'm certain that Timothy and Paul, they would have these really intimate, deep conversations. Uh, and Timothy could probably ask him anything about the scriptures, right? Particularly the Old Testament, because Paul was a scholar of the Old Testament and have a lot of really good answers filtered through uh, who the person of Jesus Christ was and is. Right? That would be amazing, right? Imagine all of the knowledge and insight that Timothy obtained. But even though Timothy had such great advantages, Paul still urges him later in this letter, 2 Timothy, look at chapter 2, verse 15. Just a few verses later, he says this, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman, who does not need to be ashamed. Listen, accurately handling 
the word of truth. In other words, he still, Timothy still had to commit and devote himself to studying the word of God, being careful with the word of God. And Paul certainly would give that that charge or that challenge to to you and I. We all have this same responsibility. And in addition to that, we know that we have to also fight to keep the truth. Again, Paul says to Timothy here in our main text, what you have heard from me, what in the presence of many witnesses, that phrase is literally translated through many witnesses, right? And so the idea here is that the church, uh, the, the others, in other words, who had heard from Paul, all of them, all of the other saints, they could affirm the truth that was taught by Paul. They could testify that Paul taught them the same doctrine, no matter where he was, who he was with. Right? There were witnesses we know in Ephesus and in Philippi, Colossae and Corinth and in Rome and so many other cities where people could affirm and confirm Paul's message. And so it's important to say this, this wasn't a secret truth or a truth that, that changed or became more relevant or contextualized depending on the city that Paul was in. It was always the same, the same message, the same publicly proclaimed truth, no matter where he was. And what that should teach us is that we cannot and we should not mold, transform, or, or soften our doctrine depending on our circumstances or the people that we encounter in our lives. I think sometimes, you know, we can, we can actually feel pressure to soften the truth so that we can, we can be liked, right? Or, or maybe more popular to a group or uh, be, maybe better yet, uh, we don't want to lose certain relationships in our, in our lives, right? Even as pastors, I can tell you, uh, I fight with this temptation, right? Not, sometimes not wanting to be offensive to people. But the reality is, our message is offensive. The gospel will be offensive to people. And we have to be bold and willing to share what is true, of course, in love, but regardless of how people perceive us. We have to fight to keep the truth and to keep speaking the truth. Well, we also see, right, because of that, that's why the apostles instructed us as believers, it says this, right, to guard, to defend, to stand firm, to not drift from the faith, not veer from the truth. Why, right? Because there's so much false teaching that exists in our world. There's so much false doctrine out out there, right? Unfortunately, it may be the worst of all, even inside the church itself, right? There's so much falsehood. So we have to know, we have to be clear on sound doctrine, and then we have to fight to keep it together. Well, number two, uh, what's the strategy for, for being and helping people become set apart and, and sent out? Number two, we must entrust the truth 
to others. We must entrust the truth to others. And so we have the truth. We have absolute truth. We have sound doctrine. We have the teaching of Jesus and the apostles. And then what are we to do with it? To create this this missional movement? We're to entrust it to others. We see that in the text. It says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, there's the word, entrust, entrust it. That, that word entrust uh, there, it's, it's an interesting one. It literally means to make a deposit. Um, and here in, in that culture, uh, here's how it was typically use, used. Uh, let's say you, you were going on a long trip and you knew that you were going to be gone for quite a long time. What you would do is that you would actually entrust a very close friend or a family member to guard your possessions or your things while you were gone. Right? And in the same way, we, what we know is true as followers of Jesus is that we have entrusted our lives, our faith to him, Jesus Christ, because we are convinced that he is able to guard or protect our deposit of faith. And then listen, in turn, because of our deposit of faith, because of our faith, Jesus has turned around and entrusted the precious treasure of the gospel to us, which then we must guard and care for. But also, we must pass on to others who we entrust. And so the question that comes out of this then is, Who is that? Who should we entrust? Who do we look for to guard the truths, protect the truths of the gospel? Well, we see here in our text today, Paul tells us. First of all, he says that we're to look for faithful people. He tells Timothy, find someone who's faithful. Faithful here implies first and foremost that these these people who are looking for that these individuals have trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. Okay, that's first and foremost. They're followers of Jesus. But beyond that, to be faithful in the scriptures means to be, to be loyal, to be reliable. It's a person that's, uh, we'll use the word steadfast. In other words, they don't waver back and forth. They're not tossed to and fro in their walk with Jesus. Another way to say that simply is they're, they're consistent. They're consistent with their walk with Christ. We also see in the scriptures, like in the book of Nehemiah, that faithful or to be faithful is oftentimes associated with fearing God, with fearing God. And so as we look for people to teach and to share life with, we're looking for people who are in awe of the Lord. People who who have a deep uh, desire to know him and to live their lives for the king. Now, of course, I should say, we cannot always judge accurately in advance who will prove to be faithful. And really, that's not our job. Right? We know that even Paul, right, many times in his ministry actually, was, was disappointed by, by certain individuals who that, he, that he was close to throughout his ministry. 
You can actually read about that in, in chapter 4 of this letter in 2 Timothy. Chapter, I believe it's verse 10. There's a man there uh, named Demas who, who Paul says he was, it was just a tragedy because it says that Demas forsake the faith. He was walking with God. Things seemed to be going good. He looked faithful and then he just, he just left and Paul was distraught by it. Those things happen. But we do still need to use discernment when we're looking, when we're searching. We're to look for faithful people, those who are in awe of the Lord, those who fear God, those who are steadfast, reliable, to entrust the truths of the gospel to. Second, we look for uh, what we'll call available people. Available people. This isn't directly in the text, but I, I think it's certainly practical, and I think it's something that we can, together, we can rightly assume. The process of entrusting sound doctrine into others takes time. It's a, it's a process, right? You know there's no fast track to discipleship. Those of you who are following Jesus, you know that, right? It takes time to become more and more like Jesus with your life. It's actually a lifetime. We know that even Jesus, right? He spent three intentional years with his closest disciples. Day in and day out with them, teaching them, eating with them. They were living together, showing them the way. And we know some people, right, as sincere as they may be, right? They they even belong to the church. As sincere as they may be, they're just too busy in their life. They're just too busy with other things. And in some cases, in some cases, their busyness is a matter of of actually wrong priorities. And that is something that certainly needs to be dealt with. It needs to be addressed, that type of busyness, right? They need to be challenged, those people. Or maybe that's you. You're just so busy. Maybe you need to be challenged to seek first the kingdom of God, to Put him first in everything, like it says in Matthew chapter 6. Right? Or, or that type of person who's, who's busy in the wrong way. They need to consider how they can better center their life around Jesus, to better center their life around the gospel and make room and time in their lives for the mission that Jesus has given the church. But in other cases... Right? We know that some people, and maybe you're in this stage of life right now, some people go through inescapably busy seasons in life that they can't really control, that it's just a season that they have to work through and get through. Right? And that's really difficult. That's a challenge. But the reality is, again, it's just practical. Right? The reality is it's really hard to go deep with people who aren't available. Now, um, don't get me wrong. It's not that we are to then ignore busy people, right? We're not called to do that. I think we have to have healthy conversations with those people uh, to see how we can best disciple them and help them to grow uh, up in their relationship with Christ, right? But overall, I think we can agree it is certainly strategic to invest and spend time with people who have and are willing to give you their time. And I was thinking about this even this week, you know, The good thing about 2020, actually, there is some good that's come out of this year, but the good thing about 2020 is that technology has made it easier than ever to actually meet together. 
I mean, even when I'm uh, commuting in my car, right, I can jump into a Zoom call or, or a Google Meet. I actually did that a couple days ago with, with Carrie and some other guys. Right? I was driving safe, right? It was mounted, whatever, but I'm driving and keep my eyes on the road, I promise. Uh, but I was in a Google Meet call as I was commuting between two different uh, appointments, right? It's easier than ever to be available if we are, listen, willing to be available. And so look for people who are willing and able to be available. And then finally, who does Paul tell us to entrust the gospel to or these teachings to? Um, letter C, we'll call it. Uh, that's teachable people. <laughs> teachable people. Notice again, Paul says these individuals, they must be able to teach others also. That's part of who we're looking for. And I think this is just a good principle to keep in mind, but no one is able to teach well unless they are also teachable. You want to be a good teacher. Uh, if you show me a good teacher, I bet they're, they're pretty teachable. If Timothy had not been willing, in other words, think about this. If Timothy had been stubborn, right? If he hadn't if he had not been willing to receive teaching from Paul, he would not have been qualified to teach others also. Right? Someone or a person who, who believes that they know it all, someone, again, who's, who's stubborn, hard-headed, or, or an arrogant person will struggle to steward the gospel well. But to be teachable, it means that you're willing to, to change your views when you become convinced or convicted from Scripture that, that you were perhaps in error. It means being willing to, to learn, submit to even, other godly people and not claiming to have all knowledge of all truth. And of course it means having a, a never-satisfied hunger to know God and understand his word in deeper ways. Why? Because we never arrive spiritually in this life. You're never going to arrive. You're going to never know everything that there is to know. It's not possible, right? There's always more to learn. There's always more to know. And the more I learn and the more I know, at least I found for my life, I'm sure many of you can attest to this, is that the more I realize how much I don't know. That's actually sometimes a frustration for me. I feel like as I'm great growing in knowledge of the word and my relationship, I realize how much I actually don't know about the word. Um, but here's the thing. We can create a movement. We can create a movement of set apart and sent out people. People who are the church and live like the church by entrusting the truth, entrusting the gospel to faithful, available, and teachable people. And so, first of all, let's be those people. Let's be faithful, right? Let's be available. Let's be teachable. But let's, in turn, then, find those people to invest in as well. And then finally, how do we do this? What's the strategy? Well, number three, we must aim at spiritual multiplication. We must aim at spiritual multiplication or another way to say that, we must have a vision for multiplication. You and I, as a gathering, we must have a vision for multiplication. Uh, you might already know this, but there are currently um, over 
billion people, billion with a B, billion people who live on this earth. And we don't know the exact number, of course, um, but even conservative estimates tell us that there are over, of those 7.8 billion, there are over 5 billion people on this planet who don't follow Jesus. Right? That's a lot of people in a lot of different nations. But God's vision and his plan since the beginning is that his people would go to the nations with the truth of the gospel. That people like you and me, broken people actually, would go with his message of hope that Jesus is both Lord and Savior. God's plan to reach the nations is to work through us, actually, the church. And more specifically, his plan is spiritual multiplication. I'm not sure if you, if you notice this in the text, but there are actually four generations listed here in, in verse 2. Four generations in our text. Do you see that? There's, there's Paul. There's Timothy. Timothy is to trust that, entrust that truth to faithful men. And then those faithful men are then to pass that on to others who are also able to teach. Right? Paul, Timothy, faithful men, and the others. Four generations. And to me, that's a strategy. That's a strategy for multiplication. See, if you teach someone and that person just holds on to the, church, uh, the truth and doesn't pass it on, this process, actually God's plan, doesn't work. It doesn't work. That's actually uh, addition at best. It, it's not multi- and certainly it's not multiplication. And, and to be honest, the unfortunate thing is that that's the strategy of most churches in our world, isn't it? Right? That's most of our discipleship strategy, right? particularly in cultures like, like America and here in Korea. Right? The strategy for discipleship is that people come together uh, to a Sunday gathering, like here in a building like this. Right? Doctrine is taught by a leader, and then there is no expectation whatsoever for that teaching that has been taught to be passed on to others, right? It's actually a major problem in the church that we have seen lead to all sorts of issues and problems. But if you and I commit to teach others who in turn will teach others, we are then engaging in a ministry of multiplication, and while at first it's slow, right, it's going to take time, energy, right? And certainly there's going to be challenges along the way with that. Uh, certainly there's going to be uh, a, a lot of ups and downs, some failures even, right? This is God's plan. This is the way that we reach the world. We multiply. We multiply. Healthy people, actually, they multiply. So like Paul, what do we do? We, we invest, and others, right? We, we teach. We teach others. But we also, at the same time, we think beyond even the ones that we are teaching 
to the third and even sometimes the fourth generation. We share and and teach the gospel with the expectation. And we set that expectation that when the gospel is received by an individual, that that individual, that person will then turn around and share and teach the gospel with others as well. It's the only way, it's the only way that a healthy missional movement can happen. And it's exactly what we saw happen in the early church. And so again, how do we, how do, we do this? Well, we look for people to teach who are willing and able to teach others also. People who believe in and who will be devoted to multiplying. People who have a vision for multiplication. And so this is the church. This is the church. It's people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's people who are centered on the gospel. It's people who are sent on mission. And out of that identity, as the church, we devote ourselves to learning and to following the word of God, to loving people, to fellowship, to to living a life of worship, to, to praying together and sharing meals together, but also to living our lives on mission together. And how do we create this culture? What's the strategy for being these types of people and, and helping other people do the same? We follow the Apostle Paul's strategy in 2 Timothy 2.2. We get really clear on sound doctrine. We then entrust that doctrine, that gospel, that truth to others. And then we aim, we have a vision for spiritual multiplication. And so today I want to ask you to ask yourselves a few questions. First of all, in your life, who is your your Paul? Who's, Who's the Apostle Paul in your life? In other words, Who can you or who do you look to as a spiritual mentor? Who is invested in you? Right? And I want to tell you, uh, as as a pastor here, right, the leaders and I, we are we are deeply committed to making sure that that is a possibility for you. Right? I want you to know that even this past week, we were talking and and praying. Have I've been asking them to pray about how we can do this? How can we create this culture, even in the midst of all of the ups and downs that we face during this corona season? How can we ensure that no one is alone at this time? But again, who's your Paul? Who is your Paul? And maybe as as you're praying about that or praying for that, maybe as you're waiting for that, you could do something that I did. Actually, uh, I guess you could say it was somewhat unfortunate, but, but no one actually really mentored me. No one really mentored me. Uh, I wish I had that in my life, uh, but, but no one did that for me uh, when I first uh, became a follower of, of Jesus. Right? And I really couldn't find anyone to, to be in, in that role or to serve in that role in, in my life like Paul did for Timothy and so many others. And so what did I do? Um, well, I just started reading from the lives of, of great men of God. I read from people like Charles Spurgeon or Jonathan, Jonathan Edwards or 
uh, Augustine or John Calvin, the C.S. Lewis's of the world, or John Piper, you know, a modern day, maybe like a Francis Chan, uh, Timothy Keller, right? So many different people. And they, in some ways, they all served for me as my spiritual mentors uh, for a season. And so maybe that's where you're at for a season, but my prayer for you is that you would ask God first and foremost for a living model. And that if you belong to this gathering, uh, that, that we could be in, in connection with you and we could make that a reality for you if you desire it. And then second, then, I want you to ask yourself, not just who's my Paul, but who is my Timothy or my Timothys? Right? It doesn't matter what stage of following Jesus you are in. If you've even been a, a believer or follower of Jesus for, for a year or two, you should be looking for someone and can look for, for someone, even within this gathering, who is younger in their faith, that you could hand off God's truth to. Right? But especially if you have been following Jesus for, for many years of your life, right? who are you helping to grow in their faith? Who are you helping? Right? Don't settle. Don't settle for not making that investment with your life. Right? It's actually your calling. God desires that of you. That you would find someone to entrust the truth of the gospel to. That you would get together regularly. That you would get in the word. That you would pray for one another and share together in the things of God. Right? Even if it has to be online in this season, make it happen. Make it a reality. My, my promise to you, as, as Freedom Village, my promise to you, Freedom Village, is that if we truly commit ourselves to, to being the church with each other and, and to and in our world, we will see radical, radical transformation. You know, uh, the early church, as they were living their lives out of the fullness of the Holy Spirit, as they were doing everything for the gospel, right, meeting together, uh, caring for one another, and and caring for, for their neighbors as themselves, right? Do you know, do you know what their opposition said of them? Look at Acts 17. We see there that the devout Jews of that city, they were so upset. They were, they were looking to persecute the believers, to persecute the church. Because they're, they're jealous of Jesus and the expansion of this new movement, this new missional movement, the church. They're jealous of it. And so look what happens. It's verse 6. Verse 6. Acts 17, verse 6. And when they could not find them, that's the, the Jews who are persecuting the church. When they could not find them, they, they went to the house of Jason. They dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities shouting, look at this, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. The church these people who were, who were living for God, who were living 
for his vision and for his mission, who were devoted, deeply devoted to it. They turned, in the eyes of the world, they turned the world upside down. And so God, God, we're asking you, Lord, that you would let that be, be true here at Freedom Village Church. Let it be so, so with, with the church in, in Seoul and here in, in Korea that we would see the world turned upside down for the gospel and for your kingdom, God. We're praying that. We're believing that. You and I, church family, we can do this together because we have God's help. And as Paul said to Timothy in the beginning, in verse 1, with the strength that comes from the grace that is in Jesus, we can do this. We can make this happen. So let me ask you, are you ready? Are you ready to turn the world upside down for God and his kingdom? Would you pray with me?